Brother Allen said just a few minutes ago, we're deeply delighted to have all of our visitors with us. Some of you are here because you're home uh, visiting with your family. Some of you are home for a while. And uh, some of you are here because somebody loved you enough, cared about you enough to invite you to come and worship with us today. For those of you who are visiting, we're studying from the book of Acts. It's a wonderful book of history revealing the beginning of the Lord's church, its growth and spread throughout the known world at that time, how the gospel was preached to people of many nations, many types, and many peoples. And today we're going to talk about preaching to pagans. If you go to your Bible, you realize that the Bible says the gospel is for all. If you remember Jesus in the Great Commission said in Mark 16 and verse 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, the latter half of that verse says that he by the grace of God tasted of death for every one. The gospel is for everybody, but not everybody is for the gospel. Because when you go and you preach, there are people going to hear what you have to say They're going to listen and they're going to evaluate it. And in their minds, they're going to say, I'm not interested. In the book of Romans, chapter 10 and verse 16, Paul would say, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Not everyone is for the gospel. We realize, though, that the gospel has to confront Various types of beliefs. We find people like, as we study the first part of the book of Acts, who were of Jewish background. They had already a familiarity with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These were people who understood that God has revealed himself to man. And yet many of them, a large portion of them, did not believe It wasn't because of the truth, but it was because of their own prejudices. Then as we begin now in the latter half of the book of Acts, we find the gospel often going to pagans. These are people who have their own belief systems separate and apart from the God of the Bible. These are people who perhaps would believe in the Greek gods. Many of them will believe in other kinds of of deities, but they are pagans. And then there are some people that you find in the Bible that are just simply confused. They do not know what to believe. And I would suggest to you that you can find the same in our world today. And yet Paul says, I am a debtor to them all. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 14, I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians both to the wise and the unwise. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. We would say that wherever Paul had the privilege to go, Paul would take that great gospel message with him. Of course, we want to make sure that we apply what we learn as we read and study. And we realize that there are people with whom we are familiar, we have a lot in common with them, and because of that, we're able to communicate fairly readily. 
There are people who at least respect the Bible. But as you and I start thinking about pagans, we realize that there are people who worship other gods and they may not always react positively to our confronting their gods. Paul never backed down from preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Paul never backed down from talking about the God who made the heavens and the earth and that all that is in them. We realize that when he did confront people, they often became very hostile and angry. In Acts chapter 19 and verse 26, while he was at Ephesus. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul is persuaded and turned away many people saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So whether it was Diana or Artemis, whether it was Athena, whether it was Nike, whether it was any of those gods, Paul would say if it's a god made with hands, it's not real, it's not true. And you see the gospel confronting pagans. Well, how are you and I supposed to reach out to them? My suggestion is, let's follow the pattern of Scripture. Let's let God's Word speak to us and tell us how to do this. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at Acts chapter 14, and we're going to first of all look at the cities and the citizens. It's only going to be very briefly to try to survey them. Number two, we want to look at the challenge of preaching to pagans. And we will notice as we start going through those verses one by one that there's some great observations or lessons that we can draw from it. And then the final part will be the call to obedience. Paul and Barnabas took those people who had that pagan background and said to them, we want you to come and be obedient to the gospel even though it will cost you something. Well, let's begin with the idea of the cities and the citizens. If you look at these cities and you compare and contrast them, you realize that the larger area is known as Galatia. In fact, on Wednesday evenings, we're studying from the book of Galatians. But you realize that there is a smaller area within that greater province of Galatia called Lyconia. Had three cities in it, Lystra, or Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. And it's just like, if, for instance, in Upper East Tennessee, you've got the Tri-Cities area. I'm from Alabama. The Florence area is known as the Tri-Cities area with Russellville and Muscle Shoals. There's areas where you have a group of people and the Lyconian language is spoken here. These are people who have a, a local flavor to it, if you will. What I would compare that to is like the state of Tennessee and to Warren County. Are we a little bit different than perhaps some other areas of Tennessee? I would say so. And so when you start looking here, you're focusing. And then you get to Iconium, verse 14, or verse 1 of chapter 14. And Paul and Barnabas go to this city. And what is notable about it is that it is the capital of Lyconia. Its name, Iconium. The icon part of it means image. And it's believed that Medusa's head was cut off here and it became an image. We do know that there was a Jewish synagogue here. Probably not very large, 
probably only a small portion because these were truly pagan cities. But as you pick up with verses 8 through 13, you realize that Paul, after fleeing from Iconium, goes to the cities of Lystra and Derbe, not nearly as large. But there's no mention of a synagogue here, so most likely these cities are fully pagan. The dominant religion is the ones based on Greek mythology. Uh, most of us are not very readily familiar with all the Greek gods, and that's probably okay. But their main one was Zeus, sort of the head of the gods, and there was a temple to Zeus here. In fact, when Paul and Barnabas healed a man who wasn't able to walk, they called Barnabas Zeus, or Jupiter. They called Paul Hermes, or Mercury, because he was the chief speaker. They looked at the two of them and they said, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. These are superstitious people. They're people who worship these pagan gods. It's a place where mythology runs rampant. And you would say, But that's not Warren County, Tennessee. No, it's not. But what if you go to Los Angeles, California? What are you going to observe? Well... One of the things you might observe is the religion called Scientology. Based off the teachings of a man by the name of L. Ron Hubbard. You may find people who have no knowledge of scripture whatsoever, nor any interest in them. Or you may go and you find some people who are a part of Eastern religions. They've immigrated from the Far East. You might find people who are from the South of our country who are of Hispanic origin. Many of them may be Catholic. Or more likely, if you get to Los Angeles, you're going to find a lot of people who worship themselves. They're humanist. Or what if you go to New York City? And obviously there's a large Jewish population in New York City, but there are many people from the Middle East there. Many of them are Muslims. And they have a different book that they follow. The book that they follow is the Quran. Oh, you start saying, I, I, I see now that if I'm going to go and preach the gospel everywhere, I may confront people who are totally different. What are some of the challenges? Well, I want you to take your Bibles and we're going to sort of go in a, a chronological fashion through... Acts 14, and notice some of the details. Frequently, people will be pawns due to their ignorance. If I don't know something, someone can tell me, and then I begin to believe it, and then someone else can come in and tell me something else, and I'll begin to believe that. Ignorance is one of the greatest hindrances in our society today. And people who find those who are ignorant, those who are untaught, they can manipulate them. Look with me at verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. They come in and they take these people, here these Jews from Antioch who did not believe, they come to Iconium and they find the 
the Greek people. Now, are they interested in the Greek people? Not at all. But they know what they want to do. They want to destroy the work of Paul and Barnabas. And so they poison the minds against the brethren. So people will not listen. You might say, okay, well, let's just throw up our hands and go on somewhere else. But the second thing you learn is you cannot give up. Sometimes it takes a lot of work and a lot of effort to be able to reach people. Oh yes, I know many of us are impatient. We want to find a person and we say, let me tell you about the God of the Bible. And then we want that person to respond immediately. It's not the way that it happens. Often there has to be a, a groundwork laid and, and you have to stay there with that person and work with them. Notice with me what he says in verse 3. Therefore, they stayed a long time there, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders to be done by their hands. They stayed there a long time. Therefore, they stayed a long time. You have to overcome the poison that often others will present, and you have to teach people. You want to reach pagans? Don't expect to go into them in the first time and say, here's the God of the Bible, and they say, who is God? Do you remember the book of Exodus? When Moses was sent to Pharaoh... Exodus chapter 5, God said, let my people go. Pharaoh responded, who is the Lord? I do not know the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Following ten plagues, he knew who the Lord was. Sometimes it requires us staying with it, teaching to be able to reach pagans. The third thing that you have to realize is, is that the gospel often divides. You will go in and preach the gospel and sometimes a husband will obey the gospel but the wife may not. The wife may obey the gospel but the husband may not. The children may obey the gospel but the parents may not. When a person studies 1 Corinthians chapter 7, obviously behind that wonderful chapter is you have a Christian married to a non-Christian and most likely they have been converted. And how do you deal with a non-Christian spouse? You could also say 1 Peter chapter 3 addresses the same kind of issue. In verse 4 it says, But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. But Jesus had already said in Luke 12, verse 51, Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. For from now on, five in one house will be divided. Three against two or two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. mother Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. You see, as you carry the gospel into an area where there's pagans and even among those who may even have an understanding of God's word, quite frequently 
It will divide people. And you have to teach people to overcome that division. The third thing that you observe, or fourth, is that when people cease to listen, then it becomes time to move on. That doesn't mean you preach the first time and they say, well, we're not interested. Because sometimes you have to stay there long enough to be sure that they understand what you're teaching. But once you reach a point where people say, we don't want it, we reject it, then you move on. Look with me now at verses 5 through 7. And when a violent attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse them and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding region, and they were preaching the gospel there. You see, Jesus had taught his own disciples in sending them out on the limited commission. He said, whatever city you enter, if they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, the very dust of your city which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. They had to have been taught that the kingdom of God was coming. Obviously for us today, the kingdom has come. But they needed to understand it was something in their future. And he says, if you won't listen, know at least we have preached to you the kingdom of God. But as you think a little bit further, people need to see that you have a genuine interest in them. As we've often said, actions speak louder than words. We're going to look at verses 8 through 10 and how that there is a man who is healed and how that affects the people. In verse 8, And in Lystra a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Here's a man, there's no doubt in your mind as to whether or not he is lame. He's been lame from the time he was a baby. He has never walked. And here he is leaping and walking about. You see, Paul exhibited not only a miraculous work, but he showed that he really cared. Here's a man who had a need. Paul looked at him intently, saw what he needed. Many times as we try to reach people who are pagans, They may look at us and say, what do you care about me? Or or am I just a number to you? Or am I just going to put me down as a statistic? There's a poem that was written many years ago by Edgar Guest. I'm sure many of you have heard it in the past. There's four verses to it. I want to read it to you and see if it doesn't make sense to you. 
I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather that one should walk with me than merely tell me the way. The eyes are better people and more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but an example is always clear. And the best of all preachers are men who live their creeds, for to see good put in action is what everybody needs. I soon can learn it if you will let me see it done. I can watch your hands in actions, but your tongue too fast may run. And the lecture you deliver may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my lessons by observing what you do. For I might understand you and the high advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act. And how you live. When I see a deed of kindness, I am eager to be kind. When a weaker brother stumbles and a strong man stays behind, just to see if he can help him. And then the wish grows strong in me to become as big and thoughtful as I know that friend to be. And all travelers can witness that the best of guides today is not the one who tells them, but the one who shows the way. One good man teaches many. Men believe what they behold. One deed of kindness is notice notice is worth more, worth 40 that are told. Who stands with men of honor and learns to hold his honor dear? For right living speaks a language which to everyone is clear. Though an able speaker charms me with his eloquence, I say, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I think Mr. Guest's poem reflects what most of us feel. And that is, I want to know that the person speaking to me actually cares about me. You want to reach pagans? You want to reach people who are not pagans. Let them know that you truly care about who they are. One of the great lessons in my judgment of Acts 14 is when Paul and Barnabas reject exaltation for humility. When they stand up and say, you don't worship us You worship the true God. Notice with me verses 11 through 15. Now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices saying in the uh, Laconian language, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of the city, brought oxen and garland to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach things or preach to you that you should turn from these useless things 
to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea and all the things that are in them. Don't worship us. Worship the true God. We're just men like you are men. So frequently in Scripture, you find people who are delivering God's message and those people hearing it want to elevate the speaker. And true men of God, true spokesmen of God say, no, no, no. The focus is not on the deliverer of the message. The focus is on the one who sent the message. You find in Acts chapter 10, verses 25 and 26, Peter comes to Cornelius' house and it says, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. You don't worship me, you worship God. Even John the Apostle, in the book of Revelation, having been given that great message by the angel of God, according to Acts, or Revelation 22, verse 8, he said, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And then he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am a fellow servant and of your brethren the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book, worship God. You want to be able to reach pagans? Don't put yourself up to be some sort of God yourself. Don't allow them to elevate you. Preach God. Preach Jesus, His Son. The next thing you do is you appeal to something they can understand about God. And here's the real challenge. If I go to a man here in McMenville, most likely he's going to have some knowledge of the Bible and I can take that book and I can open it with him and say, let's look and see what is written in this book. But if you're going to a person who doesn't know the book of Genesis from the book of Revelation who doesn't know who Jesus Christ is, how do you deal with them? Well, you've got to appeal to something they understand. In verses 15 through 18, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men with the same nature as you. Preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the sea, earth and sea, and all that is in them who in bygone generations allowed the nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good, gave rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. You see, Paul and Barnabas brought a message that it's God who causes the rain to fall. It is God who gives the sun to cause these crops to grow and to bring forth the fruit. When you get to Acts 17, we'll study it later. Paul goes to Athens, another pagan city. And what does he do? He says, the God who made the world and everything in it since he is Lord of heaven and earth does not dwell in temples made with men's hands. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needs anything, 
since he gives to all breath and all things. Oh, now I begin to appreciate. You've got to appeal to what they can see, what they can hear, and what they can understand. And Paul goes on to say that we shouldn't think that the divine nature is like the gold or silver or stone or something shaped by art and man's devising. When Paul wrote the Romans, he says, For the creation of this world, the invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. Okay, you go to the pagans and you preach Jesus Christ and you preach the resurrection of the dead. And some say, that makes sense. Some say, I believe. And then they may turn around and say, I don't believe. You need to be prepared for people with a fickleness to them. That may one moment say, yes, I believe, and then the next moment, doubt it. You look at verses 19 and 20. Then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of that city, supposing him to be dead. Folks, do you realize just earlier the priest of the temple of Zeus was bringing oxen and garlands to the gate to sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas. They had considered them to be gods, and now what are they doing? They're, they're ready to kill them. If you go to Acts 28, after the shipwreck on the journey to Rome, Paul ends up on this island. They're gathering sticks to build a fire. It says in verse 3, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer whom, though he's escaped the sea, yet justice not, does not allow him to live. They believed that Paul must have been a grave sinner. But then when nothing happens in verse 5, he suffers no harm. After that, they looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him. They changed their minds and said, He's a god. What do you observe about pagans? Sometimes they'll change their mind from this to this and this back. They don't have the foundation. And you've got to be willing and ready to lay that good foundation. That took longer than I expected to. So let's go quickly on this call for obedience. In verse 1 it says, Now it happened in Iconium that they came together the Son of God Jews and so spoke. That two-letter word, so. They so spoke. There was an intensity to their message. Paul and Barnabas looked at it as if, I am here to try to save not your lives, but your souls. Like John seven forty six. No man ever spoke like this man. There's an intensity to their voice. What did they do? They preached the gospel to them. Verse 7 and verse 21. It was the word of grace. Just like Paul had told the Ephesian elders, I commend to you God in the word of His grace. 
What they did was to make disciples. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Verse 21 in this context says, And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples. That's what we're trying to do. Trying to go out and preach the gospel and make disciples of the Lord. And they urge them to do it even though it's going to be tough. Verse 22, which is the the last of what we're going to consider this morning. It says, we through many tribulations must enter the kingdom of God. Many tribulations. You want to become a Christian this morning? Let me explain something to you. It's not going to be easy. You may go home and you may find that some of your family are disappointed in what you had done. You may go to work tomorrow or sometime later this week and find that some of your friends will look at you and say, what did you do? But you've got to realize nothing more important than your city, your soul. These cities were no different than cities today. And as Paul reflected on this in 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 through 12, he talked about those persecutions that he endured. But he said, God delivered me from all of them. And he says, yes, and all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You do what you're supposed to do, and it's going to be difficult for you as well. But the reason why they went to Iconium, to Lystra, and Derby is because the souls of those people was important. And the reason why we're preaching the gospel this morning is because your soul is important. Are you ready to meet the Lord? If Jesus were returned today, today, are you ready to meet him? Are you ready to give an account of the life that you have lived and the things that you have done Have you been obedient to this gospel which requires you to believe in His Son, to repent of your sins, confess your faith in Him, and be baptized? Are you walking daily with the Lord? This morning, if you need to respond to the invitation, we encourage you to do so while together we stand and sing.